We're in business to save the planet, and we use making clothes to do that. The cure for depression is action. Every one of us has to step up and do what you can according to what your resources are. That was the voice of Patagonia's Yvonne Chouinard, and you're listening to Type 2, a podcast from Looking Sideways in association with Patagonia that explores the intersection between the outdoors, action sports and activism. In each show, and I'm up to episode 18 now with this one, I've been meeting people who are using their passion and involvement with the cultures we all love to create change. We've been discussing the issues they're involved in, the change they're seeking to create, the difficulties involved and the rewards that follow. Now, my guest for this episode of Type 2 is Sean Doherty, journalist, writer, editor, stalwart of the global and Australian surf industry, and latterly, as I discovered during our conversation, activist. Now, I first met Sean way back in 2003 when I was editing UK snowboarding magazine White Lines, and he was running legendary Aussie surf mag tracks. I was in Sydney seeing a mutual pal of ours, Ben Mundy, who also worked at Trax and whose name does come up fairly frequently in this conversation. And I ended up hanging out with Sean and the Trax team for a few days. As we discussed during this conversation, this was at the height of surf media's traditional power and influence when budgets were hefty and responsibilities, either personal or corporate, were few and far between. And Sean himself came with a bit of a reputation, one of the big beasts of Aussie surf journalism, He'll laugh at that, but it is true, with a swagger and a style to match. And in a way, Sean's own career reflects the shift that's occurred in the industry in the intervening years since those mid-noughties glory days. After 10 years at the helm of tracks, during which he helped to transform the much-loved title both commercially and reputationally, he branched out and forged the career that he still has today. Those post-tracks years saw Sean deftly balance editorial and brand work and today, as you must if you hope to have any type of career in the industry, he wears many hats. He works for Patagonia Australia, he's publisher and editor of venerable Aussie surf magazine Surfing World and he's one of the most respected and sought after writers in the game to this day. He's also, almost to his own surprise, embraced his own particular form of highly influential and effective activism. Now, as he himself explains during our chat, this evolution has been a gradual one. But today, he finds himself at the forefront of the activism conversation in the Australian surf industry, thanks to his involvement with causes such as Fight for the Bite and the impassioned, hilarious way he raises awareness about specific issues on his very singular Instagram feed. Sean Justly has a reputation as one of the savviest, funniest and generally most essential voices in our world, something this honest, open and frequently hilarious conversation amply demonstrates. As I mentioned, our mutual friend Ben Mundy's name comes up a fair few times to join those dots. You might want to have a listen to my conversation with Ben for my Looking Sideways podcast proper. In the meantime, hope you enjoy the episode. Nice one. Where are you? I'm in uh, Torquay. I've kind of more or less, we relocated back down here at the start of last year before lockdown and here we are, we're still here. So, um, and about to get absolutely bombed. The first, uh, 
the first big system of winners coming through, like in about oh, right. two hours. So you're going to have, what, like a good few days of it after this? Uh, yeah, mate, we'll be locked in for the next couple of days, I think. Um, we're getting smashed. Nice, nice. So we have Matt. I don't know if you yeah. remember, we we met on that boat in uh, <laughs> Sydney <laughs> Harbour. Do, do you remember that? I got vague recollections, mate. I've got vague recollections of that whole decade. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a but, bit like that, definitely. I mean, I, I was do... Mondays. I was Mondays like pommy snowboarder mate that tagged along with you <laughs> lot when uh, I, it was like it was like some fashion week party or something yeah. on a boat. Um, we used to get invited to the most random fucking things, um, but I I do have because I actually listened back to Monday's one out of curiosity, which gave me a laugh. Um, but I did I did recall where you fitted into the scheme of things, um, and where you'd popped up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, because then he came to work with me. I'm sure you sort of mm. remember all that. Like after he left tracks and moved to the UK. Um, yeah, that's the connection. But yeah, it's funny. What did you think of Monday's one? It was cool. He just, he's mellowed in his old age. Yeah, that's what everyone <laughs> says. <laughs> he's only, a lot of people say he was on his best behaviour, wasn't he, in that one? Um, that's what he all did. that Tunbridge Wells living does for you, mate. You know, he lives oh, in yeah. he lives in literally the Garden of England. He lives in the poshest place in England. So <laughs> that that's what that'll do it to you. For a scumbag from Redhead to end up there, I know the, the world works in mysterious ways, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and and how are things with you? You you know, judging from your Instagram presence, which is obviously not not the best gauge of reality, you're quite busy. Uh yeah, spinning a couple of plates. Um, but yeah, there's always something to be outraged about down here, uh, <laughs> as you might have gauged from my uh, the Instagram account. But um, but yeah, man, it's um, it's good. Life's good. It's I'm not as angry as I, I probably come across on Instagram. Most of the time, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say angry. I'd just say um, engaged, and you know, like <laughs> sort of aware, aware. I mean, it, it strikes me that it's quite similar in Australia to the UK at the minute. Insofar as yeah. you've got a government that, if you're left leaning like you obviously are, and which I obviously am, is quite maddening. And I think the thing mm. in the UK, I was actually talking to a friend about this the other day. Like at least with Thatcher, there was you knew they were competent. Like yeah. you know, like they they were ideologically horrendous, and this and you know they were they were everything that I stood against growing up as mm. a kid, and and still position myself. But at least you knew that they were all capable. With the lot we've got in over here, like it's it's that ideological kind of contrast with ineptitude it seems or even worse like calculated cynicism and it seems it seems quite similar in australia it seems like that's the vibe i kind of get from your posts that sort of frustration oh yeah man like i just look at the guy in charge here and just go what's it 25 million of us go like this dickhead's the best guy we've got seriously to run he's failed at everything he's done like you said it's a it's a matter of competency these guys you know they, they couldn't run it a chook raffle at the at a bowls club <laughs> they're fucking just terrible um and i'll take your point that that you know i deal like i actually voted liberal for 10 years like liberal right. was liberals conservative here in australia yeah. um and i voted for these guys because they, they could actually run the show you know like economically i'm probably kind of conservative but yeah but, you know socially environmentally I'm, 
you know, I'm leaning to the other side, but I just like people that can actually do their job. And these guys are just hopeless. You know, like they've got no vision beyond the next electoral cycle, perpetually in campaign mode. That's all they're doing is campaigning every day of the year to get back in. It's, yeah. you know, there's no, there's no grand vision. There's no, there's no thought of the next generation. It's, it's just fucking terrible. Yeah, same here. Like, you know, all they're interested in is basically getting reelected and there's no there's no kind of plan beyond that. And then obviously given what's happened over the last couple of years and also given what we face, because clearly yeah. a lot of what you post about is the kind of environmental impact of the mm. way we live now. Yeah. That's a bit alarming, isn't it? Really? <laughs> oh, it <laughs> it's is, a bit worrying. It's just, oh, it's worrying and it's just it's just maddening. It just it really does drive you bonkers if you know, you let it, you think about it too much, but it's just, it's all around you. It's here. It's like we live in this big, beautiful country and it's being turned into a first world quarry. That's essentially what it is. That's it. And we're so one dimensional. That's all we got. Yeah. And that's, and clearly we, it's a dead end of history we're going down. And yet these guys are, are just accelerating down it. And, you know, what do you do? It seems a bit overwhelming almost, the number of issues that you're, touching upon at times because obviously you know you can call it like the umbrella term of like activism and I'm definitely interested in chatting to you about that you know I was quite interested by what you said then about your political shift because I was one of the questions I was going to have like how that develops through your career this almost like increased consciousness that you're sort of on now but you know like with the with the number of things that you're sort of talking about in Australia the number of issues it does seem quite overwhelming you know there's the surf related ones obviously that you're heavily involved in like fight Mm. for the bite being the obvious one Mm. there's the campaign in newcastle recently that you're involved with but then there's then there's the just societal issues as well that you're kind of touching upon the mining you know like the the big oil kind of story that you're that you've been following um i guess question number one like how do you find the energy to keep engaged across all of those different fronts (laughs) mate True answer. I just don't. It's like you literally just wake up to put your infinity machine on in the morning, and there there's another four things to be outraged about. It's um, you kind of really do have to pick your battles. I'm learning that as I go, um, but it's it's been an interesting uh, evolution. Uh, you know, you kind of and you sense there's a lot of people on it. You know, I really don't think I'm alone right now in sensing that frustration with with the direction all of this stuff's going um but yeah that that is my one problem i deal with right now is just it's just capacity and bandwidth and being able to deal with all this shit because there is so much of it yeah because you're working two jobs as well right you've got the patagonia work that you do is that right and then you've got yeah, yeah, that's... um you and then you now now you're running the mag you just took the magazine on as well just took to the magazine on yep yeah, uh, which again, surf we'll rider, get to. yeah. As well. So and then and then prolific, you know, surf rider. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, and, yeah like yeah. just generally, as well as as well as the kind of extracurricular campaign awareness raising that you've taken on. Yeah, like I'm used to. Like I've always worked that way. I've always spun a few plates and 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 had a bread and butter gig in the middle and and a couple of side hustles. That but it all whenever. All that stuff I do pulls in the same direction. I've always made sure of that so that you can work on one thing that contributes to another in some way um, and they all pull broadly in the same direction. So at the moment, it's Patagonia is my bread and butter gig, has been for like seven years. 
Um, we picked the magazine up. We've kind of reinvented that as, as this kind of, you know, 70s activism kind of coastal activism deal. Um, chair at Surfrider, so that's obviously pulling in that direction. So it all, all of that kind of, you know, you're heading down the same road. But I, I think the, the thing I'm finding with this as, as I kind of get more into it, Matt, it's just it's how open-ended that all of, <laughs> once you can deal with, sur- like with surfing, you're in the bubble. You're dealing with, you know, a small subset of problems and on a global scale, they're fucking tiny, you know. Yeah. But suddenly you jump out of that, <laughs> you jump out into the real world and there's real shit going on um, on a much bigger scale and there's more, you know, there's more outrages happening in everywhere you look and it's just, and I'm still learning it. Like I'm I'm such a Gumby in terms of dealing with this stuff and, and it's just whatever shiny outrage jumps in front of me next, I'll have a go at. And um, but I, I do, I am realizing that. And in the course of the past year or so, it's just man, like there's some battles I just can't can't fight. As in, because you can't you can't take it on yourself, or because you feel like it's not something you can affect. Oh, I just have to stop myself sometimes. I know it's just a waste of energy. It's like I can scream into the abyss of the internet or the universe or wherever and and not make a difference on that yeah and no i and I, then, I totally get that for sure i mean do you, sorry i interrupted you which is something i'm always getting very criticized for these days um but it is a conversation isn't it it does happen uh i mean i i because i post a lot but i post about quite trivial shit really compared to what <laughs> you you post and i i just get really sick of the sound of my own voice quite yeah. frequently you know, I just, I just, especially, you know, which for someone putting out a weekly podcast is, can be problematic because sometimes I'm just a bit like, oh, fucking hell. Does anyone really want to hear from me again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Especially, when, especially when you're a bit older and you've come at it, you've come at it late and it, you know, I, I imagine again, we're quite similar. Like it doesn't come that naturally to me. Like, hey, hey everyone. <laughs> oh, I know. Here I am. Yeah. Listen to what yeah. I got to say. Here's my opinions, everyone. So yeah. I've had to almost like find a way of doing that, that, that enables me. It's almost, it's an act, isn't it? You know, part, partially, mm. you know, you know, what I'm getting at, you have to put on a persona oh. to, to, to do it. And sometimes I just find that really tiring. Is it, so is that something that you also experience? Oh, hundred percent. Like I, I certainly don't consider myself the front man of the band in any capacity. Like I hate, I would much rather be the guy behind the scenes pulling strings that you don't hear about. Um, but, you know, the, the fact is that a lot of these things, there's just no one else fighting it and you end up, you know, you, you end up kind of out in front of it by default. Um, and, and it is what it is. Like, it, you know, I'm happy to, to jump in front of a whole bunch of this stuff, but I, I'm doing it reluctantly. Uh, it, it's not really my forte. Like, I've, you know, I've, I'm a, I've worked in media all my life pretty much and I'm comfortable with it, but I'd rather, I don't really enjoy it so much um particularly with this activism stuff yeah it's like it's not really i'm I'm not ben mundy you know i don't love the camera in that way (laughs) (laughs) well he's got such a face for it oh oh, yeah totally (laughs) that's really interesting though so what so you because you use the term media as like you know it's almost like a broad umbrella term for like all the work that you do so so the act of putting yourself putting your name on it you find sometimes a bit uncomfortable yeah, oh, totally. Like I get hit up all the time to to do 
you know, to speak to camera on issues and I, I knock it back. Now, I'd much rather, I'm more comfortable in a written medium, totally. Um, I'm, I'm fine doing it when I've got to do it in front of a camera or whatever, but it's just, like you said, mate, I get sick of my own voice. I get sick of my own words. I get sick of my own, of me generally. And, and I don't want too much of me anywhere. Um, and I'd rather be subtle and enter, enter debates in a, you know, I don't want to charge the door in them and say, I'm here, here I am. And this is what I've got to say about it. Um, I don't know if you get that from the, the Instagram account. They're just, they're seriously just stream of consciousness. I just wake up in the morning, find something and I'm off I go. And I've sent it. I really don't even think about it a lot. It just goes. Um, but like I am, I am conscious of, of kind of minimizing my presence. Man, I get, like I said, I get sick of myself. Like I can only imagine what other people feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I totally, I mean, that's why I asked that question, to be honest, because I kind of did, just from the little bit that I know about you, I sort of did pick that up and I did I did wonder. And also, to be honest, like, you know, I did get the Monday dossier. Um, for, well, I mean, like I said, I won't worry about it. It's like a simpering schoolgirl. The, the bromance is, <laughs> is real. Um, but like, he, he made an interesting point, which was that he, and, and it was a question that I had for you generally, but he kind of confirmed it. Because that you know, without using X Factor lingo, there has been a journey. It seems like you know you've obviously you've always been completely entrenched in the professional surfing mm. world in one one way, shape, or form, and also you know what you might call the very core personality led end of the surfing world. You know, like that's you know you've you've covered you've covered the, the personalities, you've covered the, the the events. You know, you've 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 done it all, and you've embedded yourself in that, and you've walked that line as well as as of like confidant insider mm. and also somebody that can tell those stories very very cleverly uh, it seems to me because it's not easy to do that you know like I, i've got some experience of that from snowboarding mm. probably not to the degree that you have but i can recognize that what you do is, is is it's a fine line that you tread and you've done that really well but then obviously what's happened is you've you've become more and more i use the word conscious earlier which is probably quite patronizing to be honest and but you, you know what i'm getting at like mm, yeah, yeah, yeah and ben 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 said when you were younger, he had always thought you were apolitical, which is a very specific <laughs> yeah. word, isn't it? You know, and then obviously yeah. you alluded to the fact that your politics have changed. So, you know, you can see where this is going. Like what, what's, what's kind of sparked that? Where's that come from, that shift? Yeah. Well, the, the, the great irony was that Monday was the, Monday was the raving lefty. Um, and I actually, I was the conservative voter. I was a Tory voter. Um, and then here we are. <laughs> uh, I, mate, I don't think it was a. It wasn't a Damascus kind of deal. I don't think. Um, it might have been a combination of things. It might have just been a like a life cycle of of the surf thing. Just man, I was in it for so long, and I'm still like I'm still in it. I'm still up to my neck in it. Um, yeah. But you know, there's a. It, it dawns on you. There's a bigger world out there, um, and I think. Yeah, you know, if you had to put your finger on one thing, it was that bike campaign clearly that that just switched things a little for me. And I don't think it switched really anything inside me. I think it it just opened my eyes to actually what was actually going on around in the country, you know, in and how the place was being run. And it's not really, and I'm not even talking about it on a you know on, on a, a left and right axis and 
and because I've never been really that bothered. Like Money said, I was apolitical my whole life, pretty much. I didn't give a shit. Like most, and I think most surfers fall into that category. Like we've had a couple of pretty good surfing decades. If you're a surfer, um, you haven't had to worry about politics. Like who fucking cares? Like you've you've had unlimited travel. You've had unlimited boards. You've had unlimited kind of. You've had time on your hands um, to do pretty much whatever you like. So you live live these indulgent surfing lives, and it it's kind of. But the whole time that's been happening, there's been this slow creep that all the the real world worlds kept ticking along and and slowly changing, and you you get to the point where you realise, man, is this really the country I'm in? It's like, you know, it's been run by by fucking fossil fuel companies. This place, and and you look at it, and it's not even a left and right thing. It's just it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense economically, environmentally. It doesn't make sense. Certainly doesn't make sense for the next generation. And and kind of once I got chucked into that, and you know, down the rabbit hole I went. So, what well, you know, the fight for the bite, as you mentioned, was obviously so galvanizing for the community over there, the surf community. Was that the most? You know, you're you're, you're saying that's almost like the flag in the ground for that that kind of this generation of act, of act, surf activism, if you like, for want of a better phrase. You know, people actually making those connections because it from the outside it certainly looks that way it certainly looks like that's you know kind of really spread out and now there are loads of different things going on you know belinda's got this Mm. surfer for climate thing going on there's 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 a lot of you know it's 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 created a groundswell of 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 different layers of activism in the community so do do you think that that was the issue that was made people able to connect the dots that you're talking about in a clear Uh, way yeah it it was the issue but but to be fair, like if the bite had been something else, if it had been on the East Coast or it had been somewhere else, it probably would have happened anyway. Um, it was, I think it was kind of like a movement just waiting to happen and just looking for a, a moment and it just happened to latch onto the, the bite at the point it did. Um, you know, like 95% of the people who showed up to all those paddle outs have never been down there, you know. They've never... It's. It's even for the East Coast, you know, it's like two or 3,000 Ks away. It's like, and it's in the middle of nowhere. It's a long, you know, it's eight hours from Adelaide. It's fucking in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so it's not like it's it's all these people fighting for their backyard. It was, in a way, it kind of almost worked. That almost worked um, inversely for that. The fact that it, no one had been there and it existed as like a state of mind and it was this gigantic open just area you know this bit of coastline that there's just wild and untouched and and for the people of the east coast who've never been there it was like it's almost became like a state of mind for them and and they're fighting for this they're fighting for the bite but they're fighting for the idea of the bite of what it is this giant wilderness and and it, it man people just piled on and it got it you know it freaked me out like we got in the middle of it and just created a monster with it and we just didn't uh, we turned up to like you know the first one down here at Torquay we had um you know the very first paddle out we I pulled up it was a Sunday we got um it was in the middle of summer still it was February so it was still a busy time of year like we got down the beach and we and we go oh it's kind of busy down here Uh, like we got there half an hour before it was due to start we parked four streets back from the beach gone 
going, okay, well, this is the summer crowd. And then we've walked down the beach and fuck it, there's everyone with boards. And there's literally thousands of people there. And Torquay is Torquay's a thousand Ks at least from where this thing was going to get drilled, probably long, probably further. And all these people were here. And it was like, we're like, whoa, hang on. Like something is happening here. And and it just went on and on and on. Um, and and like you know, I always said to the crew, I said like, man, if, I always was resigned to losing it. I I, we, I thought we're never never going to win it in a million years. Not in this country. This stuff that stuff's just a fait accompli for for fossil fuel companies. They just walk up, people sign contracts, and it just happens. And so when that you know when that finally dropped that we'd won it, it was like okay, hmm, I don't know. What's next? <laughs> yeah, well, that was going to be my question. So, and this is probably like a just a pretty basic naive question. But so you put you put the you think that the 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 surf movement fight for the bike campaign did actually was a key factor in it not happening. Yeah, totally. I'm not silly enough to think it was everything. Um, you know, you there was a whole bunch of stuff circling around. But there was some very clever shit that we did that that really kicked those guys in the nuts. Um, one was going to Norway. Yeah, that was very. I mean, super effective, wasn't it? That but very yeah, powerful turning, as well. Turning up on their doorstep um, was not a good look. Like we got lucky, you know. They're a state-owned company, so they're they're answerable to the Norwegian people. Um, you know, it's not an Exxon or a Chevron who are just answerable to to bloodless shareholders. Um, they had to answer to the people who were going to vote vote them in or out. So we got lucky there. Um, and of any big major fossil fuel company, they, these guys have got half a conscience at least, um, Equinor. Like, and I, when I say half, I probably mean like a fiftieth. Um, but, but but there is <laughs> something a there. There's, There's a, a glimmer of hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was like. That was working in our favour. But we kind of worked them out as we went and we learned more and we got people engaged and we worked with us, worked out where the soft spots were, where you could hit these guys. And it's and it's really around elections, is really the only leverage you've got is is when they're they don't listen to you the rest of the time. But we we were lucky in that the um in that this thing blew up in the middle of a federal election as well. And we were able to to look at to drop these things into marginal seats as well. And mate, suddenly it was surprise, surprise, they started listening to us. Yeah. And but I think there's a bigger, there's a bigger thing here in a, in Australia in particular, and it, and I'm sure it, it works the same wherever you go around the world, in that the the crew running the show here, the, the the government's trade, particularly in a place like Australia where everyone lives on the coast, that's our way of life and that's our national identity, you know. We're surfers. Everyone's in the water all the time. We're, we're off. You know, um, that's the Australian thing. And and when all of those people suddenly turn back and start screaming at you and telling you to fuck off and say, mate, what you're doing is wrong, um, it's very hard to be for those guys to dismiss you. It's very easy to be dismissed if you're, you know, if you're a fringe group and 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 they and these guys are, they're not very smart. And and they're not used to being challenged, and they'll all they'll do is they'll say it's all oh, it's the greeny left or it's this, it's gone. Well, we look around the beach, mate, and all I'm seeing is 
fucking families and people who look like Australians and none of them are happy and we're all unhappy about this, what are you going to do about it? And and suddenly it was a kind of dawning that it's it's quite a strong as a cultural group, it's really hard to 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 dismiss. You know, you look at how many mainstream crew connect with surfing these days, and everyone loves to be attached to it. it it's it is whatever it is to whoever, um, but it is it, it became really hard to dismiss for politicians, that's really, for companies. That, that's really interesting. Sorry, I interrupted you again because I was no, just thinking. Good. I was just thinking, like, that that's such an interesting take on a number of levels. You know, firstly, linking it to almost that Australian identity, you know, like, which which means that politically it just can't be dismissed. Cause we, but the other thing I guess I was thinking about when you were talking then is that's like using the, the mainstream coat you know co-opting of surf culture in like a very very constructive and positive way isn't it and 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 obviously like surfers generally well any of our cultures generally are so suspicious of mainstream co-opting that that that's actually really really interesting because because it kind of leads to the other question i was going to ask you as well which is you know whenever i talk about politics on here or whatever you know somebody puts a black Lives matter sticker on a surfboard i think you, you know we all know what we're talking about here like you know the, the, there's generally yeah. there's there's people that are interested but you get a lot of like keep politics out of surfing yeah. you know i i you know you know the arguments they're like well well-worn arguments and yep. one thing i've noticed about your your kind of presence is you don't really get that like when you know when you're talking about these issues and you're talking about like pretty challenging issues sometimes. Um, people are generally quite receptive. You know, you might occasionally get mm. somebody kicking, you know, I was reading one of your threads the other day and somebody was having a crack about lithium mines. You know, you get you, you do get cha- <laughs> you do get challenged, yeah. like that's that's yeah. that's for sure. But but you but generally people are quite receptive to the like I say, fairly challenging ideas that you're putting out there. So I guess if we link it back to what you're talking about with Fight for the Bite, do you think in Australia that there's more accepting of this using surfing as a political vehicle now? Or do you think there's there's still a way to go with that? Or finally, do you think it depends on the issue? Because one thing that I've noticed, just to finish this off, is it, it really does seem to depend upon the issue, like environmentalism and, is, is, and sustainability and all those kind of green issues. Mm. Most people can get behind that, really, if they've got yep. a brain cell in their head. But once you start getting into more challenging territory, race, sexuality, race. Yep. then that patience becomes much narrower. Again, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. So yeah. the, I, I bring that up just because that was such an interesting observation. Yeah. You've clearly got a view on this. So what, what's your take on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, it's a tough one, man. It's... I can see how how easy a lot of this stuff is for people to just go, I just don't care, you know. And and the way a lot of people frame it up too, it 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 doesn't come with a lot of lived experience around it. And and that's clear in the way it's framed up. And you know, I and I I, I can only speak for myself. Like I want to make sure that anything I speak about, I'm actually fucking doing. Yeah. Um and then I'm actually and there's, you know, I don't want to talk a lot about social stuff because I, I really, I do care about it. But a lot of the stuff, you know, all of my time spent dealing with environmental stuff. 
that's the stuff I can answer every question on. Um, yeah. I can tell you about lithium mines and what's going to happen with all of that because <clears throat> I, I, I try and, and put my head into it. Um, yeah. But that other stuff, like stuff out race and sexual, like I, I do care fucking a lot about that. And I'm going to post about it, <clears throat> but I'm going to post about it at a level I feel that, you know, I, I feel I've got to buy in at a certain level. Yeah. And it's not very, it's not very high, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm down, I'm, I'm right down the bottom on that. And, um, but, you know, race is, a, race is a really interesting one here in Australia. And that, that, that is one I'm increasingly caring, you know, more and more about. I mean, yeah, there's a, to put it mildly, there's a lot of historical baggage there. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but on, on the wider question then, do you think, do you think that, people are more comfortable with with using something like surfing as a vehicle to explore these issues of, as, as you explained with a fight for the bike, I think so, you... man. <clears throat> it's been such a neutral canvas for so long it's been so fucking boring for so long it's like <laughs> i think i think people will just take anything that'll liven it up <laughs> and, and and at the moment it's you know there's a there's a whole heap of whole heap of stuff happening in the world that that's making surfing more interesting as a result so um more power to it it's yeah, but I think it's it's also cyclical as well. I think we come back, you know, you look back to the the seventies here in Australia, and and you know the seventies anywhere, and and that activism was everywhere. It was on the street yeah. everywhere. It was all through surfing, you know, and um and surfing was so fringe back then. It was it was essentially all it was. There, there was no mainstream component to it. It was all yeah. fringe, um, and it was all activism. And it was all sticking it to someone about something because that's what it was um, by design. But it's, well, yeah, it's like that. It was that's when it was literally a counterculture. That that was the deal, wasn't it? That was the game in town. You, if you were you doing signed, it, you that's what you were doing. You signed up. That's what it was. That that was the gig, man. It's just like a, and it's a bit of a neutered, you know, kind of a neutered puppy dog right now. That it just that you know it kind of. I think that's by contrast why all this. The activism stuff now people have clung to so you know um fervently because it's like fuck finally it's something like a little dangerous or something that's saying something or it's it's challenging something it's um it's not just this this kind of marshmallow mainstream kind of thing that it, it could have become um it's it's the only problem you know the only dangerous element maybe left in it yeah i mean i it probably won't surprise you to hear, you know, like I, I, I always find keep politics out of sport type commentary just asinine, really, because, it, <laughs> you know, they are they, they are not 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 an original observation, but they are metaphors for life, aren't they? They reflect society, they reflect the issues in society. I mean, look at you know over here we've got this huge controversy about um, black players taking the knee getting booed at football mm. matches, um, and. You know, a huge part of that argument is like we don't we just want to watch a game of football and we don't want to get this sort of rammed down our throat. But like if you can't see that like a load of black players like using that for I mean they're reflecting the national conversation. Like you can't separate mm. the two in in any way, shape or form, I believe. And it, I just think it's it's sort of silly to even suggest that you can really. You know Yeah. I, I yeah. And it's just, you know, it's a bit of a avail for your prejudices too it's like man I, like i surfed all weekend i didn't fucking think about politics once like i didn't 
I didn't think about the well, I did think about the environment because I was in it, and it was actually pretty magic on the weekend. Um, but mate, I, you can you can make surfing whatever you want. You just go surfing. Yeah. Don't think about anything. You know. Yeah. Don't, um, it's just it's just an easy crutch to get out of of having to talk about it. Yeah. So you mentioned the mag, and you said that you explicitly said that you'd consciously you know look back at the at the history of the activism that was part of that title in the past mm. so i'm guessing that was quite a conscious thing because it is a full reboot that you've done here isn't it it's you and john frank right that are doing it correct yes um, um so frank and, and I, frank so and i get, give us the context of the title first before you get into it just so, okay obviously i've got a lot of brit listeners that might not be familiar sure with it. well um following the demise of our our good friends at surfer magazine who i'd worked for for um for a long time last year, uh, we are now officially the oldest surf mag continuously continuously published in the world. We um, wow started. We turned sixty next year, so we're fucking old, dude. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's it's an interesting title. It's a um, whereas tracks has kind of been a bit more a bit more street. You know, tracks tracks is ten years younger than us. I think they turned they were fifty last year. Um, a little bit more street. It's surfing world has always been a little more reflective um, about the surfing experience, and you know it's it's been and it, it's gone down more of an art road as well. It's a, it's a you know, really beautiful mags, um, but yeah, we took it on. It was it was either that or it just disappears, and and that scenario wasn't palatable to John or myself. Um, you know he's got. He's had a longer association with it than I have because I worked at Tracks for so long. I've been there though probably fifteen years now. He's been there probably twenty five. Um, neither of us we're just going to let it slide into into um, oblivion. So here we are, mate. You're actually I'm in. You're in the Magic Factory right now. You are in the surfboard oh, yeah. office. Yeah, it's my nice. back bedroom. Um, yeah, same, same here. You're in my shed. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it, it's like it's hilarious to think that like in the glory days, which you know, in the mid two thousands, when Mundy and I were um, were at tracks, it was like there was like five or six of us working on the mag. There was another ten people indirectly working on the mag. It was in this eight story building. It was um, it had these huge budgets, and and here we are. Like essentially, this is back where it started. You know that these mags all started in in back rooms, um, and full circle. Here we are. Yeah, so that's quite a big thing to take on, though. Just be like, yeah, I'm going to do that as well. You know, is that? And you sound again like you were sort of compelled to do it. Because so so, do you feel like a, a? It sounds like a lot of it was almost like a stewardship of the of the culture. You know, oh, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like we couldn't, we, there was a sense of duty to keep the flame burning, um, clearly, and that was with John and myself. We we spoke long about that, um, but I think also like we've re-engineered it as well. So the mag actually, funnily enough, work it works like a not-for-profit, really, which is good because it doesn't make any profit. It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might as well then. <laughs> totally, it's lit. It is literally a hobby. But if we're going to do it, it's like. Um, it, you know, we might as well kind of point it in the direction of all this other stuff that we're doing. And, and that's what we did. So we hinged, like I hitched it to a lot of the activism stuff. Um, 
and kind of slowly I did a thing like there was a mechanism in there where where to get to come on you buy an ad you get a double page ad but you get a free ad to give away to a not-for-profit or someone who's doing something you know environmental social cultural something cool um and all of the crew who bought into the mag as advertisers have kind of slowly you've watched it by osmosis over the the period of you know we've almost been going a year now um slowly get more engaged with that stuff as they go and i think it's a sign of the times too i think it's happening organically in the air um but it's it's kind of they're getting you know they're getting behind more um more social environmental stuff they're they're kind of making it part of their business obviously you know i work for patagonia that it's it's dna for those guys but it's it's slowly working its way out into the surf industry which which you know 20 years ago was you know one of the most self-centered probably you know industries you could ever find it, it lived in the bubble um and really didn't look much beyond it so so you think there's more of an appetite in the industry now that's interesting you think you think that the changes that you're noticing on the kind of day-to-day level are being reflected in in the this kind of you know the business end of it essentially yeah 100 percent. they're picking up on it totally and but you know the thing is generally most of the crew who are left in in the surf industry because it's a fraction of what it was yeah. um mate they're all core surfers it's kind of like yeah. they've done what we've done you know they've reverted back to you know in the the back room of their houses that it's not quite the same but it's like they're on a smaller scale it's a better fit for what surfing yeah. actually is they're not these gigantic global motherfucking corporations, or not all of them anyway. Um, but they're they're kind of truer to what to what surfing once was. And yeah, and I guess that's one of the benefits of the contraction in a way, isn't it? Or not even the contraction, but the shift that there's been, as you say. It kind of if you're still doing it at this point, then yeah. you've had to you've had to make choices <laughs> and you've had to make real choices, haven't you? Which presumably you have as well, like to to kind of yeah, this is what I'm about and this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to make it work in this way, which, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's got to be a positive thing, hasn't it, really? Yeah, it, it, mean, it feels it. like it feels really like, you know, it feels really good to be in the middle of all of that stuff because that they've sensed a change. It, like you said, it's a recorrection back to probably what it was yeah. originally. You know, it's closer to surfing. It's closer to, you know, a lot of this other stuff, the environmentalism, the, you know, social issues, Um and it, it just feels like a better place to be a part of. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned the glory years, and um, I, I came to see <laughs> you boys at that office, and it definitely, you know, when 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 you look back at those years, it was definitely the kind of the heyday, wasn't it? The probably the peak of the bubble, really, in terms <clears throat> of niche media. When you look back, um, so how you know? Let's let's go back to the to the beginning. Let's do this bit. So where you know yeah. where. You, you were at tracks again did, am i right in thinking you you joined tracks when it was at a bit of a low ebb you know it almost was on its on its downers a little bit am i right in that yeah i i joined when it was still the old newspaper format yeah so i came in at the last in the last probably 12 months of it as a newspaper um which was naturally di- like it was dying a natural death anyway just because of the format and it was black and white and it was newsprint and it looked like shit. Um, and suddenly you're up against all these glossy mags and, and photography was better and they looked better and art was better. And, and so 
Trax was on the way out, and so they flicked the they flicked the switch and, and made it a glossy, which was quite a culture was quite a big thing at the time. Yeah, and it pissed, pissed a lot of people off. Um, and you still get a lot of old guys now whinging about the fact that it was better <laughs> when it was a newspaper. Um, no doubt. But funny thing, when we took over Surfing World, Frank actually raised the idea of doing Surfing World as, as a newspaper, and. I indulged yeah, that idea for about three seconds before I shut, <laughs> I shut that down. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah. Like, let's do a zine. Yeah, <laughs> nah. But then, um, but yeah, it was yeah, it was kind of a funny time that yeah, there was a lot of stuff happening in in that office. We were we had waves in an office at the same time, so tracks and waves were like were, were you know big brother, little brother in the it was the surfer surfing kind of dynamic that um, the Americans had. And um, yeah, we got a hold of it. It wasn't, it wasn't doing great. It was the iconic title, um, but it was really, you know, it was kind of floundering a little bit. And and then we got it. Um, I took over. I as, as I listened to your podcast with Monday, I made the call to Monday. He was in he was in Carnarvon, I think, up in the desert in WA at that point. Yeah. And I said, mate, do you want a job? Because um, he and I had gone to uni together. And he said, um, fucking oath. And he turned up a few days later and, um, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah. So what, I mean, being that you did have a ringside seat to those glory years, like gives, gives a couple <laughs> of stories then. Oh, what, you know, oh. what, what, sta- what stands out? Cause you know, there was relentless good times from, from it appeared from the outside. It was to be honest, to be honest, man, it was like, it I'm shocked to actually look back. Like I don't want to look at some of those mags now because I, I know that some of them were probably pretty <laughs> terrible. Um, yeah. They certainly belong to those times, I can tell you that. But like we were just the socialising and the whole thing, it was just this gigantic indulgent party that went on for like for years. You were either on surf trips or you go into like to like surf industry parties or you you just – it was just – it was a blur, and that's why you like you were talking about you know when we first met, and I'm struggling to remember it because it was it was at one of those parties, yeah, and yeah, all yeah. of those things for me just blurred into one. Like I've I've only got selective memories. Most of them are, are of your mate Mundy, um, <laughs> behaving abominably, and and like when I, <laughs> when I was cramming for the exam here, I, I thought, God, which of these stories can I actually fucking tell? Um, <laughs> Uh, oh that's funny man so when so when you were i'm going to go back to that that kind of thing i I kind of alluded to earlier like you know obviously you've had that proper insider status like in in the surf industry and it is it is a challenging thing when you're that embedded because on the one hand you, you know you're like you are a confidant but you've also got stories to tell and it is mm. it is challenging, like to do that in a way that maintains the trust of the people that you need to get the stories from. And you seem to have walked that line like very, very expertly over the years. Like, has that ever been been a, a, a challenge? Like, is that something that came naturally? Because I don't find that that straightforward. And even quite recently, yeah. I've got into trouble with that. You know, like so. I, I'm I'm just intri- intrigued. You're probably one of the only people in the world that I could actually ask this question to. And you know, you know what I mean. Like, I'm on a yeah, personal yeah, yeah. level, I'm just very interested. So, like, what? How's that been for you? Oh, it's it's a dance. It's like it is for anyone, you know. Um, 
because you you trade off all of that you know all of that knowledge and intimacy and, and knowing someone so closely knowing all these people so closely with what's going to happen if you write everything that comes out of their mouth um and and you do have to to kind of you stay conscious of it but but yeah you know, I, I came from an old school of of journalism where you didn't write yourself you tried not to write yourself into the story as well yeah and so you try to observe and and so where, where it's completely flipped around the other way the dynamics changed 180 degrees obviously today um where it, it's where it's only gonzo and there's no there's no yeah. real journalism done the, you know the hunter s thompson ta- handbook is is i mean i remember even like 15 years ago the hunter s thompson thing was a cliche wasn't it i used to yeah when i edited white lines we almost we had like we almost had like a file you know when we'd get commission we'd get submissions and you could just tell they were basically copying fear and loathing yeah it's like here's another one like you know but like you say now it's it's that's what it is really you know totally and it's yeah and it's like once you if you rip out the per, the all the personal pronouns out of half these things you're not left with much um but i like i i came from old school and it taps back into that thing where i don't really want you know i'm not really comfortable trying to write myself into any of this stuff or be out the front of any of this stuff anyway um and if my job is to tell the story of of this guy or this girl or whoever it is this surfer um then you know i'd rather be take three steps back and and just watch and and the thing is if you watch enough and you watch enough and you watch enough and you see interactions and you and you you know you see them at critical moments and and quiet moments and whatever and you can build pretty accurate pictures and and you don't need to go to 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 latch onto like salacious moments or and really run hard with them because they're not really at the heart of what you're trying to do anyway um you're trying to accurately kind of write about who this person is and 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 they're not the sum of every salacious moment that 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 they were around or that they were part of or whatever that's part of it sure um and i think you can kind of i'd I'd like to write i'd write at the core of who who the person is and, and then write out from there and yeah and push a little bit rather than just go to the far level and just go well this guy did this and and that's who he is because it's not um so yeah no, a- that's that's it's nuanced and it's it's so interesting to hear you say that because again it's almost like you're fighting a losing battle these days if you don't tell those stories and you know i'm i'm thinking of some of the people that you've been particularly close to like where the salacious details of their life almost like have become the story now haven't they so you know to actually try and keep that in mind as you're talking about and be responsible for that i mean it is difficult because the other, mm. the other, the other, um, the other pressure that you have now is like, well, is that the story? You know, like, mm. is that the thing that you should be talking about? And that's like a constant as a journalist, that's a constant judgment call, isn't it? Especially in our little niche weird world where you basically rely on these little relationships and, and your network and all that. And you can't, you know, end of the day, if you want, if you want your access and you want your ability to tell these stories in the way that you want, as you've just defined, you have to look after that to a certain degree. So it is, it is challenging. And what I've kind of found is like, it's almost got more challenging these days, given what's going on in so much as 
how much people are putting of themselves out there as well, you know, and the, and the, the old filters that were there have now, again, not original thing to say, but have completely gone. So you've got that added factor as well, haven't you, to sort of look at. And again, I think I think when I look at your work, it's a really expertly plotted line, it seems to me, which is why I'm asking, which is why I'm kind of homing in on it a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's a dance, dude. Like when I did the Abaddon book, um, that was oscillations. Yeah, because it was like, you know, um, but like spending all that time in Maribor for a couple of years with them, like you actually, you get to the heart of like the story and the connection between all of them and and, and then the, the bits that find their way into the papers, you know, they don't matter so much in terms yeah. of defining who they are. Um, and like, and I'm happy to cop criticism that, you know, from people from the outside like i'd much rather be writing a story from the out inside out and then and knowing everything and then kind of sorting through it and picking a line through it than than what generally happens writing from the outside in and then you you just all you're left with is what what's made headlines what's made whatever and you've got to you've got to run with that and make judgments around that and 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 use that as the basis of what what you've got um, I think the the inside line's a truer one. You know, you, obviously you, it's it's a dance, and it always will be. Um, you're gonna have to, you know, there's some things you just won't put in. Um, and yeah. I, I'd happily do that and, and and cop to that every day of the week. But it's but I'll guarantee that what what will come out of it, at the end will probably be truer than if it had got written from the outside in. Um, yeah, unauthorized. Do you, do you ever face accusations of that approach, like perpetuating the kind of boy clothes shops or boys club that these industries can can sometimes feel like? You know, because obviously there is, because that just being devil's advocate for a minute, like that sometimes there just is genuinely bad behaviour that goes on that can be detrimental yeah. to the to the culture, if you like. You know, particularly with the conversations that are going on now about inclusivity and access and and you know you, we've we've alluded a couple of times to like the way that there's been a cultural shift generally which has been reflected in surf culture for example um do you, do you have you ever faced that accusation that perhaps that that does sort of perpetuate that sort of boys club vibe of the whole thing we worked in the definitive boys club <laughs> we were in it you know tracks 2000s um although that was any surf mag 2000s yeah. um and 90s and whenever that's and none of that stuff would stack up pretty well right now um if you put it you put it out there and and measured against today's standards um but that's it is what it is um you know it shifts and it it has to go through a bit of that stuff to to change and and i'll quite happily wear all that wear wear that criticism because it's it it was really blinkered back then and you really you are literally in the bubble um particularly when that surf industry was flying and and you're 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 in the middle of it and it's it's kind of giddy you know you you, you kind of get swept along with it and you've kind of got to keep yeah that was always the challenge with us like and we were having a fucking good time seriously in the middle yeah. of it um, clearly, yeah, like it. <laughs> um, but you had you had to kind of remind yourself you were doing a serious job in the middle of it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It didn't always reflect that. The mags never, re- you know, rarely reflected that. Um, and it 
it kind of, yeah. And again, you know, we're young guys in your twenties too. It's that's back then. That was that was par for the course. That's what you did. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm like you. I can't really read anything that I wrote twenty years ago. I just, I'm like fucking hell. I don't like. I've got a couple of friends that I work with at White Lines. They've got all the mags. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I don't know if I ever want to see them. No, bury them, please. I'm not yeah. sure. I'd, I'm not sure that they'd really stack up that well these days. Um, no, nah, no. Nah. But you know, the other thing I was going to ask you about, and another thing that Mundy mentioned, and I'm just going to pull it up actually, because um, he mentioned the WSL thing. You know, like mm-hmm. you, you at one point you were definitely digging hard on the WSL, um, yep. at a particular period in its history. So you had, you know. Just, just to, you know, for balance, like you, you, I've kind of implied with that last question, like that, that keeping the status quo going. Well, that's obviously not fair because clearly a lot of your work has given no fucks about the status quo and has just gone after good stories. You know, and that that is a really good example of that. Mm. So, um, looking back on that. Did that, did that have like any fallout? Did 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 you? Because that was quite punchy, really, wasn't it? You know. Well, and well, again, I from just, I didn't get just employed final... by the WSL. <laughs> yeah, but like just just final thing, you know, like if you listen to like Chaz these days, you know, he'll he'll bag the mm. WSL all day long. But again, it's mm. on that sort of frothy, frothy sort of like just shit talk level, isn't it? Whereas obviously the work you were doing was coming coming from this much more investigate investigative yeah. like grounded approach so there i think there is a difference there so yeah. did you know you've always kind of chased those stories like have you have you looking back have you noticed whether that had any effect on the paths that your career took uh well it was clear, like clearly a bit of a line in the sand when those guys took over um it was the first time that the sport had been privatized and had been privatised by a secretive billionaire that no one ever saw or knew or ever spoke about it. Um, so it did have some weird kind of cultish vibes to it and none of the background was available. Um, no one really knew what was going on and, and we, you know, kind of digging around, there were, there were crumbs and, we, you know, you could put them together and, and, and they kind of, you know, I think it was, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure I, I was the first one to put Ziff into the because I wrote a piece for Surfer that, that more or less outed Ziff as the the sugar daddy for for the WSL. I don't think that went down very well because I don't think he wanted to be outed at that point. Um, but it was, um, but it was just a weird, and it's just continued continued to, to get weird. Like it's great for for a writer to who writes about this stuff to have those guys here. It's far more interesting to have those guys around than than just have it run by the surf industry like it used to be. Um, it's not. I don't think it's as good, but it's it's far more interesting to write about because it's just this strange group of outsiders who've come to run it and they try and run it like a sport and they're trying to interpret, you know, what it is and and I'm not sure they're sure what it is, um, but it's great material for a, yeah for, for people to write about. Like like Chaz has made it career about it it's like it's it's just gold it seriously is yeah. gold if it if it was still run by the surf industry none of us none of us would have jobs um yeah i mean it's it's funny that you the point you make about the lack of direction because they do it does just seem to lurch from pillar to post doesn't it like it 
mm. it, it, you look at it and like i i'm almost like what what is what is this like what is this thing what are you trying to do it you know like what is the, what's the direction and the only direction seems to be like can we make it tennis doesn't it really you yeah know? yeah it might like they might end up doing you know and we've always hypothesized what the the extinction event would be um when the asteroid hit for it and it and what would actually be left on the other side and it's like mate they might be in the back room with with me here with surfing world or with the surf industry who are in smaller buildings now um and it might be a better fit that you just never know maybe and and maybe they're tripping that that this great you know kind of unwashed mainstream market for surfing is there i'm not sure it is um it might have been for a few months last year in the middle of the pandemic, but I don't think it's here now. And to their credit, they've dug in and they've survived, you know, and they're still here. So I'll, I'll take my hat off to that. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's a good good issue you raised. Obviously, hot topic has been the uh, what Chaz might call the Val apocalypse in the, in the, <laughs> last, in the last year. Um, but are you seeing that in Australia? Are you seeing the same numbers? Are you seeing the same tensions that seem to be playing out? Um, I note that there was a stab took on the old, you know, meritocracy localism argument in a recent piece, like that was that was getting a bit of a flame in. Um, certainly something that comes up a lot on the podcast, like that that tension between traditional surf culture and new surf culture, if you like. Yeah. Are you seeing that over there at the minute? Uh like I can probably really only speak from from experience here in Torquay because we weren't allowed to go anywhere else, <laughs> you know. Um, but we did the months before it really locked down last year. It went nuts. Like it went fucking nuts. There were so many new people in the water, riding all sorts of weird fruity kind of boards, and um, because it just I don't know. It just seemed like at the time it it felt like you know there was this impending kind of societal collapse or there was some kind of bad thing coming and people were just like, man, we're just like, um, you know, they, they were just out there enjoying it and enjoying the freedom. It was like, it was, it was the, the antidote to all this, all this bad stuff that was due to come. And it, but it went nuts for about three weeks and then, then they shut Melbourne off and I've never, I've, I've never been happier than when they actually, they called it the Ring of Steel. They dropped it around Melbourne. It, like they basically blocked off all the roads around Melbourne and stopped anyone from Melbourne coming down here, which is about an hour away. And and then the Valpocalypse was over, like three weeks into it. It was done. Um, and we've got like interesting, interesting observations now, like a year on from that, like, like we're going through the corresponding time of the year. We've just come out of autumn here, going into winter. And, man, like I surfed on the weekend here at Winky Pop, which is like one of the most well-known breaks in the country. 15 crew, Mellow wow. on a Sunday. Same right. again on the Saturday. Um, you know, Melbourne's still locked down, but it's that whole, you know, the, the whole sense of being overrun and, and that this shit was changed and it's, gonna, it's like, man, it's gone again. It's just blown away. Right, interesting. So yeah, maybe maybe a little a, a little blip. Well, I mean, I think that's it, man. I think that was great. Yeah, you good? Really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm fi- glad we finally got to do it. 
Always better to do them in person, but, you know, uh, fuck knows when I'll be over there again. <laughs> I know, mate. mate. Fuck knows when I'm going to be able to talk here again at this rate. We're, we're so still locked are you down. All, you're all locked down again, right? Mm, we're locked down again, So, um, which I think is the fourth time we've been through this shit. And, um, but it just, mate, it, just, it seriously just blurred into, into one. I don't even know now. I don't know what year it is. Yeah. Oh, you're going into winter as well, aren't you? So we're going um, into winter. Yeah. Yeah. We just we just had the winter lockdown, and it it was fucking grim. I mean, English mm. winters are grim at the best of times, but when you can't go to the pub, oh, that <laughs> takes away you know takes away the main the main thing that's decent about an English winter. Then yeah, I just I just remember when they um when they first called the the original lockdown here back in like April. April, May last year, I went straight to the bottle shop. You've never seen more people at the bottle shop in your life. Yeah. It was like it was like a UN food drop. There was cars like <laughs> there was people fighting over stuff and um and backing cars up and boxes going in and and then um and then three days later you're allowed back to the bottle shop again anyway. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah we I mean we had this I mean, I was saying to a friend yesterday who lives in LA that I was texting and She's Brit and she was just like, you know, I don't know when I'm going to get home and all that. And I, cause I've got family in New South Wales. Like my sis lives in New South Wales. Um, oh, yeah. Whereabouts? So, you know, I'm like, uh, but they just moved to Bellingen. Is that how you say? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bellingen. Yep. Yeah. They lived in Bondi for years. Um, not like renting. And, you know, they were sort of stuck in that. Well, we really like it here, but we can't afford to buy anywhere. So they've, they've, they've yeah. basically bought a place up in, in Bellingen. Yeah, um, Belgium's like yeah, the um, I, it's like the hinterland, hinterland version of Byron. It's like it's pretty pretty trendy, um, but a bit further down the coast, but beautiful. Yeah, I got I got the impression it was like quite artsy and mm. you know uh, quite liberal, quite wafty. Lot, lot, it's got lot a of scene, yogurt yep. weaving going on, all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I was saying I was saying to my friend like you know, it's worth reflecting like how fucking weird this situation is <laughs> you know we're all we're all taking it for granted a little bit now but when you step back it's still quite mad what's going on around the world really i think we're a way off yeah it'd be interesting to see what this looks like in 10 years time and but it's man i'm just i'll just be happy for it to be over it's, to, to be honest like i've i've been pretty happy down here it's like you know we're i'm a minute from winky pop I can surf whenever I want. Works here. I got tons of work. You know, I haven't had to worry about work. The kids here, all of that shit. Um, you know, for me, it's and I've travelled so much in the past ten years, mate. Like I'm counting down the days to the next pandemic. It's like if it was good as this one, give me another one. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, well, that's good to that's good to hear, man. So there you go. That was me and Sean. I hope you enjoyed it. I think what I really enjoyed about that chat is how Sean's activism has been a gradual awakening rather than a result of any particular Damascene conversion. Something which I think is reflected across the wider surf industry right now. I was fortunate enough to interview Corey Schumacher for a previous episode of my Looking Sideways podcast proper. And that part of the conversation where me and Sean discussed this put me in mind of something Corey said during our chat. Corey said, a lot of people would prefer to think of surfing as an apolitical or non-political space. 
but activism and surfing have actually gone hand in hand for a long time. I think the surf industry's done a really powerful job at crafting a narrative of hedonism and escapism, but participating with the ocean is actually a political act, especially given the fact that the majority of impacts of climate change are really felt in the ocean. Couldn't agree more. And I think that conversation was a really great demonstration of that truth by Corey. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find the entire Type 2 back catalogue over at my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com, as well as the entire back catalogue of my podcast, Looking Sideways, where you'll find well over 150 interviews with some of the biggest names in action sports and other related endeavours, and also some of the smallest but most interesting tales as well, I like to think, including the episodes with Ben and Corey that I mentioned You'll also be able to find information about my book, Looking Sideways, Volume 1, which has been out for a few weeks now. And I'm very proud to say it's selling like hotcakes and getting a lot of press, which is great. It's a visual exploration of California board sports culture by myself and photographer Owen Tozer that chronicles our journey from Ventura to San Diego. And it's also a bit of an attempt to understand how Californian board sports culture has shaped the world and informed the perspective on California that we have today head on over to www.wearelookingsideways.com for more. All right, thanks for listening. See you next time. Nice one.